Welcome to the Next Gen Podcast. Stepping up to the microphone are your hosts, Bryson Wright and Alex Winton. They got next, so let's get to the show. Hello and welcome into the Next Gen Podcast here on the Bluff City Media Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Bryson Wright, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Winton. And it's been a really tough week for the Grizzlies. You know, obviously, I feel like we try to be the more positive people when it comes to this, but there's not really many positives you can take from this first week. Grizzlies are the last team in the NBA to get a win, starting 0-5. Obviously, not the way you want to start. Some really tough games. Those first couple games were really tough. I know uh, we talked last week about that Pelicans game. It was really close. The Nuggets game, I felt like they played really well. And then a couple games where it was just bad all around, like that Wizards game was just pretty bad all around. And I'll say the same about that Jazz game. Uh, that Jazz game to go 0-5 really that first quarter was probably, I mean, not probably, it was the worst quarter of basketball they've played in a while. Like, I don't know if I'd even say going back to the last two, three seasons, like this might, it might have been the worst quarter of basketball besides, of course, that game what was it game four and game six last year yeah those two but besides that this is probably the worst quarter of regular season basketball I've seen the Grizzlies play uh, and it was just really disappointing to see you know just not just the slow start uh, obviously with the injuries and stuff like that uh, that was going to be an issue but it just really feels like the vibes of the team in general are just off too Like, that's something that I felt. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff when it comes to roster construction and, you know, guys that are out and stuff. But it really just feels like the team doesn't have the same kind of vibe and that like that they've had the last couple years. Obviously, it's hard to recreate that when you're losing games. So I get that. Uh, But, yeah, it's just it's just been a really tough start to the season. We're going to get into all the reasons why we think they're 0-5, like our level of concern for the team and everything going forward. And then talking about the Grizzlies picking up uh, Bismack Biombo, which maybe I should I almost call him Grizzmack Biombo. Maybe we should call him that. That that'd be pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, Bismack Biombo coming to the team and everything like that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But we got to start with the reasons why the Grizzlies are zero five, and it's it's really simple to me. They can't guard the three point line. Like that's the number one issue for me. Uh, They are giving up the most threes in the NBA over the first five games. They've given up the most three-pointers in NBA history, right? So you're giving up the most three-pointers in the history of the NBA through the first five games. And on on the other end, they've been the second least efficient team offensively. They have the worst offensive rating in the NBA. In terms of field goal percentage, they have the second lowest field goal percentage. So... It's one of those things where when on defense, you're consistently leaving guys open. And it's partly because of overhelping and stuff like that. It's partly because of some defensive miscues. I got to give a shout out to my guy, Marco. Marco can't dunk on Twitter. He had a really good thread that I watched from that. From It was just from the first quarter of the Mavericks game of just some just going back and rewatching and seeing like some of the defensive miscues they've really made. And it just really feels like when it comes to they're trying to, you know, help out on shooters and stuff, or they're trying to help people in the paint way too much instead of helping out on shooters. And they're leaving really good shooters open. 
Uh, obviously, there are some times where maybe that's part of the game plan to leave people open. But I'll go back to that Mavericks game. There is a couple times where I saw like either Xavier Tillman, like I saw Xavier Tillman helping off of Grant Williams uh, to help Jaron in the paint. And I'm like, dude, Grant Williams is shooting like 60% from three this season. Like he's not going to keep that up. But like that's not the dude on the team that you should be leaving wide open. Right. And I feel like there's just a lot of that. And then in that jazz game, I mean, it felt like Clarkson was getting as I, I Jordan Clarkson was open as soon as the game started. And he was open the entire game. It felt like him and Lori Markinen were open the entire game, man. It was actually crazy. Kelly Olinick was hitting those above the break threes as well, which he is firmly on the grizzly killer list as well. Uh, so a lot of stuff like that. But I think those are the two things that the Grizzlies have to fix is one, the three-point defense. They cannot guard the three-point line like this in today's NBA. They will get roasted every game. And it's that simple. And then offensively, you got to make layups and you got to make open shots. And they just haven't done any of that so far this season. <sighs> yeah, I had, to, I had to take a deep shot real quick because, man, did not expect this to be 0-5. Um, I mean, I thought, you know, obviously it'd be a little bit of adjustment. But, yeah, 0-5 is crazy. <laughs> okay. I just got to laugh about it just because of how it's happened and how, like, watching it, just thinking about it right now, uh, rethinking about it. But, um, yeah, to your point, those are really the main two points I have to agree. Mainly the offense. Like, it just – and. Again, I want to say this purposes. I'm we're gonna get into a layer about blame. Well, you know how I say blame pies and things of that nature, and we'll get into it. But since we're talking about the players and the coaches in general right now, I don't think it's a scheme thing because the scheme is fine. They're getting open looks now. Could they get a little bit more rim pressure at times? Yes, but at the same time, you also have to realize who the personnel is, right? But there, the process to me has looked good. Like I haven't really complained about the lack of ball movement i may be complaining about the turnovers but like the turnovers are more so on the players than oh the scheme is not working because they're getting open looks they'll get open looks but they just won't make them like and i mean won't make them at all like you two what you're referencing with the jazz watching that game i tweeted it this is some of the worst best offensive basketball i've seen like from a shot making perspective like they can't make anything in today's nba you're not gonna win any game i, I know we got to defend and we'll get i'm finna get to the defense but like even Jenkins said it, just all offense in, in the last game. Their offense just didn't help them. Now, they're giving up too many threes now to the point where, like I always say, margin of error. They don't have enough offensive talent to give up that amount of threes. So when you already can't make a wide open shots and wide open layups, you giving up that amount of threes is going to put you behind the eight ball even more. So you got to do play even more perfect to win the, a basketball game, which is what's happening right now. And, I mean, they've lost these games in a lot of different ways. But from the simple standpoint, First, they can't score enough. Like, outside of Bain, Jaron, and Smart, and maybe Zaire at times, they have nobody else. Like, I'm looking at it right now. Bain's averaging 25, basically. Jaron's averaging, like, 19. Smart's averaging 16. And then the next highest is Zaire at 10. And then everybody else is, like, at 8 or 6. Like, you're just not going to win games like that at all. You're just not going to win games like that if you're not getting any offense production. And second, um, yeah, it's the it's probably the defense in terms of the overhelping. Because the defense itself, like the rebounding hasn't been as big of a thing as everybody made it, you know, was making it seem. But more so it's the overhelping, like you said. Shout out to Marco. He had a good thread. I saw a little bit of it, um, a little bit of today. Um, but yeah, I think uh if if I'm not mistaken, it was Sean. Uh Sean Coleman, shout out to Sean Coleman. 
he had a little stat up. Basically, every year for the last, like, three years, the Grizzlies have been bad in October and November in terms of overhelping and giving up threes. Like, they they, they always, for whatever reason, at the beginning of the season, give up a, a crazy amount of three-pointers. And they usually adjust by December. And then the last two years, they've been top ten at defending three. But the problem is this year, that adjustment has to come sooner. Is basically what he's saying, and I agree. Because with the way that how the injuries are set up with the roster and just how it is constructed, you can't give up this amount of threes so early because you don't have enough offense firepower to overcome it. And so they really do probably – that's the thing I would say they need to really fix soon. Um, because the offense, I mean, it's going – you just got to make shots. I mean, Jiggs can only do so much with that. But from the overhelping standpoint, he can make it a, a key thing in film to be like, hey, don't overhelp here, don't overhelp there, because there's just sometimes where they're just doing too much helping, especially when you have a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. down there. There's probably no reason to really help. You'd probably much rather give up the long two versus a wide open three to somebody, especially a guy that's getting catch and shoot shots. Like, granted, you want to give up the three, but you got to at least get a contest out there. They're usually late with the contest, things of that nature, so they got to clean that up. But, um, yeah, I, I would agree. Those are the main two things so far that have really hurt them so far. Um. And that they have to be better at, like especially the offense, man. You like, like you said, we're last in offensive rating. We're, I think this one, I, if we look at it, it's like one hundred two point five. Like that's like a mid two thousands offensive rating in in twenty twenty three. That's just not gonna work. I know. Again, NBA NBA is not just a math game, like all analyticals. But at some point, you it, you it's an offensive game. You go you you gotta make shots. So that's really my biggest thing. You gotta find some offense. I don't know how. Whether it's a transition. Whether you play through Jaron Bain and Smartmore, I don't know. You just got to make shots. You just gonna find some offense. I don't know how you're going to find it, but somebody, they're going to have to find something because 102, 102.5 ain't going to get it done for an offense break. It's just not going to get it done in today's game. So they got to figure that out um, if they want to get a win. Yeah, no, if your offensive rating sounds like a radio station, like it's probably not good. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that's just not good, man. And I think the – I will say I think the defense does worry me a little bit more than the offense just because I feel like when they do get Ja back eventually, he is going to help the offense a lot because, I mean, what they really need is somebody that can put the ball on the floor and put pressure on the defense. When Marcus Smart has done it, it's it's worked really well for the Grizzlies offense, but Teams are not as obviously not as scared of Marcus Smart driving the ball as they are of somebody of John Moran's caliber driving the ball. So he still doesn't have that same level of gravity. And I think you will see that with Desmond Bain, not necessarily with his uh, shooting, like not with his scoring numbers, but with his shooting percentages. When Ja comes back, like right now, he's only shooting about 35% from three. But the reason is because he has to take so many more shots. Because he's basically, and sometimes he's the only guy out there that is even a reliable shooter at all. Like, so he has to, he has to shoot it, and he's seeing so many different coverages as being that number one guy. I feel like offensively, adding Ja, go ahead and add twenty eight points a game. Like, basically, is what you're doing, right? You know that he's gonna get his teammates involved, and it's also gonna help. Bain, he's not going to be seeing the best defender every night anymore. And I think that's going to help him with his efficiency. So, like, offensively, I think they will be okay. I think that they are going to be able to figure it out. The reason why the defense worries me more than the offense is because these are some of the same trends that we saw last season. 
especially on the road last season. I feel like they had just a lot of issues when it came to guarding the three. And it's also what you saw in the playoff series against the Lakers when they let Rui Hashimura just go crazy from three because it's some of the same defensive scheme stuff. And it's like, okay, this dude is a 30% shooter, so we're going to help off of him. But he's not a 30% shooter when he's wide open. Like that's, and I think that's like the issue is like you look at it, and it's like, oh, he only shoots 32% from three. Let's leave him open. I guarantee you, it's not 32% on wide open threes. I guarantee you, if he came out there before the game and he shot 30 threes, he's probably going to make 25 or 26 of them because he's in the NBA. And that's what NBA players do. When they're wide open, they make shots. Well, that's what they're supposed to do. And that's when we go to the other side of the Grizzlies not doing that. And that's and that's like and that's the main issue. They're giving up, they're they're allowing teams to shoot over 44 or over 43% from three on them, and they're shooting below league average from three on the other end. They're giving up 18 threes a game, which is just a ridiculous number of threes per game, just to put it into context. Like 18 threes a game is insane. I know it might be a little bit of an outlier because you know, in that Jazz game, I think the Jazz made the most threes that the Grizzlies have ever given up in a game or something like something crazy like that. So that was a little bit of an outlier, but it comes down to defensively, they have to figure it out also because the as much as the Grizzlies have been a fun team that gets out on the fast break and high flying with John Moran and Desmond Bain shooting threes and all that on offense, we all know that the identity of this team starts on the defensive end. So if they are not good defensively, then you're cooked. Like it's that simple. Like if like they have to start on the defensive end. That's how everything starts. That's how they get out in transition and everything like that. And they're they're not doing that. There's too many possessions that are ending in made shots and you can't get out and run. They need somebody to come out there. They need uh you know First of all, I think the rebounding has been better, but they have to get better at getting the rebound and then running. They don't have that, you know, John Morant to get out there and push the pace a lot. As much as I do think Bain has still done a good job of getting downhill and stuff like that, I think they might need to see a little bit more of that from Marcus Smart getting out and trying to run the break a little bit more uh, to try to get some easy baskets. But the other issue is even when they have had easy baskets, they haven't they haven't made them. They're shooting really bad at the rim. I know uh, in that last game against the Jazz in that first quarter, it felt like they were just missing a ton of layups. Like these are shots that they should make. So I will say we're going to get into some stuff about Taylor Jenkins as well because I know a lot of people want to talk about him. And I will say, obviously, if your team is 0-5, part of it is on the coach. Like there is no doubt that part of it is on the coach and Taylor Jenkins can be a better coach. And there are some things that Taylor Jenkins has shown this season that he has to get better at. And it's some of the same stuff we've been talking about the last couple of years. So I get why it's frustrated, but at the end of the day, Taylor Jenkins can't make the layups too. You know what I mean? Like sometimes these dudes, like, like there've been a lot of open looks, a lot of good looks inside that have just been missed. And it's it's partly because of injuries and stuff like that, and I get that. But with the roster as it currently looks, they still I still don't think they should be 0-5. Like that that's that's just that's just how I feel. Uh, I feel like they still do have enough with Desmond Bain with Jaron. I mean, they also had that game where Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. both had 30. Marcus Smart has 23. 
and the rest of the team shoots like 27% from the floor, right? And it's like on a on a night like that, they just needed like one more person to step up. And I think that's another thing is they haven't had – like we've talked this whole offseason about how they need like one guy to step up. And hopefully it was going to be Zaire, which Zaire, I don't think he's played bad, but he hasn't played to the level they need him to play with the amount of guys they have out. And then you haven't gotten enough out of Roddy. You haven't gotten anything out of Jake LaRavia, like at all. Uh, to the point to where you now have like, you know, Vince Williams Jr. is coming in and playing over him. And I'm and I'm a hundred percent with that because when you put somebody out there that they're supposed their main thing is they're a shooter. And if and they don't like Jake LaRavia is not a defender. He can't play defense. He gets cooked on defense. It's that simple, right? But you gotta make up for that by making shots. That's what he's out there to do. And then if you're not making shots, there's no reason for you to be on the floor. So Jake either needs to start making shots or they got to find somebody else to go in for him right now because he's simply not ready for the role that they have him playing right now, which with having Santi Aldama back, adding Luke Kennard, he wouldn't be in that role. So I get that. But like, that's one of the, like, there are people playing right now that should not be that should not be getting minutes on a team that wants to contend. And I think that is the, the main issue. Now with some injuries and stuff, obviously that's an issue. And when guys get back and they're closer to hundred percent healthy, some of these, some of these dudes aren't going to be playing, but like I said, they still shouldn't be 0 and five. They still need more out of a couple of these bench guys. If they want to, you know, turn it around and at least be close to 500 when Jock gets back like that, that, that's really all I've been asking this whole time. Uh, and to dig yourself into that 0-5 hole with all the injuries and stuff that you have as well, it's just going to make it even harder. Yeah. Um, and see, I think that leads me to what I was going to talk about when you were talking about needing more offense production and players that not need to be playing. And that's exactly why I've been, you know, seeing like you were talking about the coaching and, you know, all this other stuff on the timeline. And I, again, let me start with the Taylor Jenkins thing. And I, it's going to go hand in hand. Taylor Jenkins is, he has his flaws like every other coach. But I'm just going to say this now. When you have the roster that they do, currently as constructed with the context, most players or most people are not going to, are probably going to be in that same situation. Right. And I'm saying this from a simple standpoint of, like you said, he can't, he can only emphasize things. He can't go out there and play for them. He can't go out there and make layups for them. He can't go out there. He can change the scheme in terms of defensive stuff, but they got to execute the scheme. Right. And so I think that is part of the problem, too. Um, they're not executing the scheme. And obviously, Jenkins has to adjust his scheme defensively. But, I mean, to your point about the players that they have, like, this all falls on, like, two people that are not even playing right now, I think, are the biggest issues with the team or why this start has happened. And I'm just going to start with the dude who makes the decisions, Zach Kleiman. Why are we not talking about Zach Kleiman? I keep hearing everything about these coaches, and nobody's talking about Zach Kleiman in the roster that he's constructed. Because you're saying – Hey, we need more offensive production. We need more offensive production. And we have people that are playing that are shouldn't be playing as much. This all goes to the person that makes the decisions. Like, yeah, we're, like we literally, no di- disrespect to these players that we're talking about. Jake LaRavia, Vince Williams, all those players. Like they are, like you said, like Vince Williams was playing over Jake LaRavia. To me, it's the same thing. You got, they're not the same players in the sense of same skill sets, but the same players in the sense of they're players that shouldn't need to be playing right now. Because if you're talking about what the Grizzlies have talked about this whole time is they're trying to win a championship. But 
and while Smart was a good addition to what they do, and I think he's been good, I feel like they haven't, they're just sitting on certain things, or they were, I won't say twiddling the thumbs, but they didn't prepare as best as they could for this type of situation to happen. Because now you have guys that are overexerting themselves. You're talking about Zaire Williams needing to be scoring more. And while he does need to score more, he shouldn't have to be in this position to score that much at this stage of the season. He was most more so supposed to be like a utility guy or connector, things of that nature. Xavier Tillman, another guy who I think has been good. He's been overexerting himself. Legs have been tired on dead on offense because he has to play basically 30 minutes and guard all these people, and you have no backup big. Now, granted, we're signed Biombo, that's cool. But you should address that before because you already knew going into this season, BC was going to be out for most of the season. Now, while Adams was not out, you knew the risk of Adams also being out because I remember them saying he didn't want to get surgery, and they tried to work through all that. You knew there was a risk of, hey, he might, we might have to do the surgery. So if he didn't get the surgery, he would then be out. No disrespect to these players, but why? I understand Kenny Lofton being on the roster in March, right? They want to reward him. But if you knew all this, then on top of that, new John Morant was going to be out. You basically have three guys that are making like $80 million of your dollars on just dead money. Like, it's not going to be there. It's not going to be your use. And you don't have that much money to be playing around with because those are main rotation guys. So now you every roster spot counts. And no disrespect to Kenny Lofton, but he was a two-way guy. Why is he still on the roster when you still need actual NBA players? Because now you're putting yourself in a position where you're dependent on too many first and second year guys that are not ready for these minutes. And then we're asking them to be play above what they are when they haven't even got enough experience to know who they are as a player. And so that's where I get this frustration because it's like you never really prepared for the situation anyway. And so now we're, you know, we're, everybody's talking about these players need more offensive production. Yeah, that's cool. Like I want them to produce more. They need to be better. Like Roddy don't need to miss layups. Jake needs to be better, but they shouldn't even be on the court. And now you're just, you know, now you're, you're, you know, basically having to find different ways to not play. Like you said, getting Santi back, getting Luke back is going to be cool. I think that's the thing that really hurt them, too, like because those guys are going to play like 20 some minutes. So, you know, they'll you know, that makes Jake not, you know, that makes Jake and Roddy's minutes less. But even then, you probably, in my opinion, still needed like another one to two extra rotation guys on this roster. And you don't. And now, again, like you can't plan for certain injuries. But you knew certain risks were there and you didn't mitigate those risks. So now you're in this situation because you didn't outside of smart and Rose, you didn't add anybody. And you already had two guys on the IR or one guy on the IR. And then another one that was potentially could have been an IR and then one that was going to miss the first 25 games. And he's your best player. And you did nothing necessarily to make that, you know, mitigate that risk of, hey, Luke and Santi out. Now you're like, it's basically everybody got to stay healthy now or else your margin of error just becomes even slimmer. So, yeah, that's really where I'm at with Zach. Like, he's got to be better in that in that sense. Because, again, while these pl- players are young, you know, your best players are 24, 25, and we'll talk about the concern level and stuff. You just – you you, you got to get to a point where if you're really serious about saying you want championships, you have to make the moves to do that. And while he did have a good start with Smart, you have to do more. Smart can't just be the one and just say, hey, we're, we're good. That's the championship move. Like, no. You have to make more. And I hope he's seeing that you have to make more because I understand we've always developed and had people be able to take leaps, but usually we only have one or two guys make a leap. We're depending on three or four guys to make a leap. And that's just kind of unrealistic in today's NBA, especially if you're trying to contend for a championship like you say you are. So that he's got to fix that. He's got to fix that first more than anything. The person that makes the roster, he's got to fix that and change his mindset a little bit. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, I think the biggest I think the biggest fault would be that they didn't sign a backup big until now, especially when you see the fact that Taylor Jenkins has been reluctant to use Kenneth Lofton Jr. as well. Uh, and also, that's another thing is that Kenneth Lofton Jr., even at his size, he he needs to be out there with another big as well. He's not somebody who can really go out there and play the five. So really coming into the season, just like and, and I've said it before, like I really felt like they just needed another seven foot dude on the team. Like Jaron is the only dude on the team over seven feet tall. Santi is, you know, he he's a big body as well, but he's also still more of a finesse guy. Uh, but I, I think that adding him is going to help. It's going to help the front court rotation a lot. And like you said, Xavier Tillman won't have to play as many minutes just because Santi will be out there with him as well. But I still feel like they needed another traditional center, which is why I'm glad they're going to sign Biombo, which I said we'll probably talk about that kind of like at the end of this. Uh, but I did want to get into what is the level of concern for the Grizzlies right now. I'll say for the current roster, like right now, before Ja gets back, before, you know, Santi gets back and stuff like that, the concern level is as high as it needs to be. It's it's at 9, 10, whatever you want to say, just because but I'm talking about for these next three or four games, right? Uh, we don't know exactly when Santi's going to get back. He's supposed to be doubtful and everything like that. We know that Ja's not going to get back until at least December. So for this stretch, like, it's going to be really tough for them, especially when you see how bad the offense have been, the defensive struggles. I, I don't think they're going to give up 18 threes a game for the season. Uh, if they do, they're going to be really bad. I don't see that happening. Uh, my level of concern for the entire season as a whole isn't isn't that high. I mean, I'm still concerned. I'll probably say like a five or a six, you know what I mean, for the season as a whole. But I still think that just overall adding jaw is going to help a lot. And even though it's it, it's a horrible start, it's your 0-5. But there's 82 games. Like they do, they do still have plenty of time to kind of turn it around. They can try to start with, you know, winning these two against the Trailblazers. Like that's where you got to start, is you got to get both of those games. I know it's on the road, and I know you haven't been good on the road, but that's got to be the mindset. Like you got to go and you got to win both of those games. No offense to the Trailblazers, but they are a team that, that's a young team, got a lot of players. Don't even know if Scoot Henderson is going to be playing in that game. I know that he hurt his ankle a little bit, so we'll see how they treat that. So that those are games that you've got to try and win those games, right? Uh, but I, I still feel like they do have time to turn it around and everything like that. Obviously, the season is not over. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, you start 0-5, you should be concerned. Uh, and I definitely am a little concerned for just the season as a whole. But my, my main thing is these first 25 games without Ja are going to be a struggle. Like, we knew it was going to be a struggle going into it, uh, knew that there was going to be some new stuff coming in and everything like that. But the rest of these these next 20 games before Ja gets back, it, it it's going to be tough, especially offensively. Uh, so that would be my main concern is how bad are they going to be these first 25 and how big – Kind of like how big of a hole are they going to put themselves in? Uh, this is where if you can start digging out of the hole now, it's much better than, you know, obviously continuing to dig it deeper and everything like that. Just so that when Ja comes back, it won't take like a Herculean effort from him to just put the team on his back and 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 
bring them to the playoffs and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Uh, just stay attached. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't go down seven games and stuff like that from the top of the West and everything. You know, at least be there so that when Ja gets back, you can try to at worst be three or four games back. Like, that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Uh, but right now, it just doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Like, if you take these first five games, it doesn't look like they have the personnel to do it. Uh, but I think, like I said, Adam Santi, hopefully Luke Kennard will actually start making shots, which that's another thing. He's kind of on the same level as Jake for me. Not to say that he's, you know, shouldn't be playing, but when I said defensively, he's not really bringing you anything. So you have to make shots to kind of mitigate that on the other side. So when he hasn't been making shots, like I know it's his first, he's only played two games. So I still think he will start making shots eventually, but when he hasn't been making shots, it really just makes it really tough to have him out on the floor too. Uh, so yeah, there, there, there's a lot of stuff that they're going to have to fix, especially because before Ja gets back. But I would still say the level of concern for the season is not at an all-time high yet. Yeah, I, I'm gonna start off by saying I got. I'm a. It's all gonna tie together. But what you're talking about with the first or the last or the not last, but the remaining games for Josh suspension. My second part of my rant was the other person to blame is for this is Ja Moran. Now, granted, Ja is not the person making the roster decisions, right? I understand that. But at the time, you're new. Ja has to know this, right? Or not really know this, but understand this. Uh, the team wasn't in limbo, but you knew Dylan Brooks. You knew you lost in the first round, so you knew changes were going to come, right? You knew Dylan Brooks might not be here. You knew BC was going to be out. You knew maybe maybe they didn't know about the Adam thing, but they knew, you know, he could either not, even if he played, maybe have a lesser role. And you knew you were dependent on young guys. So you, And not only that, they said, hey, Ja, Jaren, Bang, you are the guys, and we need you to set the tone. So you, you would expect him to be ready for the first 25 games just offered before the suspension. But then once you get suspended, now that puts your team in a A ball, you know, behind the A ball. And my level of concern is probably a little bit higher because probably I'm going to say like eight, to seven more seven to eight because by the time you get back it might not matter because now granted like you said the season's not over but i'm a big history guy and i'm about to give some things listen there have only been 15 teams that started 0 and 5 and end up making the playoffs the last team to do that was the lakers last year and i'm pretty sure the lakers are the only team to make the conference finals out of that 0 and 5 start right so and not only that you know, like I said, they can do it because there's been some other teams that started 0-4. I think the Chicago – I got it up. The 2004-2005 Chicago Bulls started like 0-9, and, and they ended up winning 47 games and finishing the fourth seed in the East. So it's not impossible, but the odds are very against you. You're just putting yourself behind the eight ball. And for what they want to achieve, that, that is just hard to do. So I'm just being realistic in that sense. So And, and so – it's not impossible. Like I said, it's been 15 teams and the Lakers just did it last year. But it has to start now. It has to be something that starts now. And for me, if Jaws already out, and I've been said, like, you know, you already he already put himself or the team behind like in a bad situation because they don't have, like I said, the roster constructed too along with that. It's like where are they gonna get the points? That's really my biggest thing. Where is the offense gonna come from? Because I know you should beat Portland and you should beat um I guess if I'm looking at it real quick, yeah, you play poorly next two games, then you got Miami and Utah at home. Like, you might be able to win those games because you're at home. But then after that, like, it's like Clippers, Lakers, 
Spurs, then it's Celtics. Like, it gets tough. And so, you know, I had the prediction of this team being, like, at worst, 15 and 10. They already halfway there that the loss column, like, already. So, you know, it's like, for me, it's like, like you said, I, I feel like it might get to a point where you get job back and he's going to have to put on a Hercules type of effort just to get the team into the play-in because the damage has already been done in the first 25 games. Again, you know, you can start slow, but this is more than starting slow. This is like you're the only team that won a game. And in the Western Conference where there's teams, like especially in my opinion, where I think the two seed and like the eight seed could be separated by two games, Every game matters, and I hate to break it to you. No, there's no real easy game, like at all, really. In the at least in the Western Conference, it's not. I know Portland might not have Scoop because I know he hurt his ankle last game, but Shaden Stark still good. DeAndre Ayton still good. Like they can still go off and they can still beat you, and you're in their place on the road. Like, and we're not being good on the road or last season, and we haven't been good this year. Obviously, we have won a game. So, and then I'm looking at these other teams. I mean, if you don't have Santi and Luke. Like you said, if Luke's not making shots by, I mean, shoot, soon, like next game, and then, you know, obviously Santi will be back next week probably. Even then, they got to produce at like a high level. Like the margin of errors is not there. And so my concern is like, yeah, you might win some games and start to win, but it has to start in the stretch. Like it has to start in the next probably five, probably five games, five to seven games in my opinion, because that's when you get to a point where you're just basically – just really trying like your margin of errors is not there it's already not there but now it's going to even not be there for in terms of making the playoffs and again i mean if you want to make playoffs it's cool but it's like you want to avoid the playing too so like it's just tough it's tough so my concern is very high for the season not for the outlook we can talk about outlook future pods i'm not worried about the outlook of the whole thing but at least for this season yes because it's like man you know history tells you you're, you're just behind the eight ball already and considering the context unless they make some moves you're just basically hoping for the team to play better and coach better, which I think they can. But even if they do, their margin of error is still so slim. Like Jaron and Bank could still go off for 40 points. But like but like we saw, they both had 30 piece, and I think Smart had 20-something, and your bench didn't give you anything. You know what I mean? Like margin of error is just not there. And then the other games, I think the first two games, I think the first game they played the Pelicans, they played well enough, but Jaron didn't play well enough, and they lost that game. Then the second game, they played decent enough, but I don't think Bain played well. And then you, you know what I mean? Like it's something, always something happening in these games because, and they, they basically have to play perfect. And when that one thing slips up, they lose it. So yeah, my concern is pretty high. Cause it's like, man, I mean, you're just putting yourself behind the eight ball. Now, granted, like I said, 0 and 5, we've seen it. Teams figure it out, but it's steep. It's steep. It's looking bleak. I'm just be honest. It's looking very bleak. So they got to get it together soon. They got to get it together soon or else it's going to just continue to be a thing where, we're like, man, we're thinking Jai's going to save the season. And by the time he gets there, the season might already be over. Not over, over. You still got to play the games, but over in the sense of what they're trying to achieve. So, yeah, it, it, it's pretty high for me. I'm going to say a seven or eight. Nah, I got you. No, I'm with you. Uh, and I agree just because it can't, it, it's going to be hard if, if they put them, if they put themselves kind of too far behind the eight ball, kind of like you said and they continue to lose these games and stuff like that, it's going to be difficult. And that's why I said, like, I not to say that my level of concern isn't high, like, obviously, maybe slightly lower than what yours is, but I think that I'll know a lot more in these next two games. Uh, they got to win these next two games, right? Because the difference between 2-5 and five and 0-7 oh and is 
huge. You know what I mean? Like you Man, can't. Just, wait, they, hold, on, hold on. Let me. For sorry for cutting you off. Just win one. First off, just win one. And then that's let's true. Start win a game. One yeah. game at a time. Win a game. Yeah, that's that's what we're gonna start at. Is win a game. Uh, being the last team in the NBA without a win is just like that's not acceptable. Like, and, and that's really my main thing that I'll continue to say is that obviously, like, even if they were one and four, man, just winning a game, man, it just will make me feel so much better about the team right now. It's just like the fact that they haven't won a game. It's just it's just really tough, uh, and especially because of the way they've lost some of these games. And I think it really does get tough just because there have been some times where it's like, like against the Jazz, it really felt like they just lost the first quarter. Like they lost the first quarter and the game was over, right? Uh, you can look at some of those. It's like you lose one of the quarters and for three quarters, you might play okay or maybe even good enough to win the game. But you just put yourself, like you said, for the season, but just for games, like you put yourself behind the eight ball because now you got to come out and you got to, you know, come back from down 15 in the second half and you already don't have enough offense to do that. So that's really been another one of my main issues that I've seen is that they'll either, whether it's like the first quarter or the second quarter, usually it has been, they just get blitzed. Like they've been, they've been blitzed in the second quarter. They got blitzed in the first quarter against the jazz. And then basically the rest of the game, they were trying to come back but they just never really could. I mean, you're on the road. It's not – the Grizzlies do not do well in Utah just in general. I don't know what their record is, but as somebody who's watched a lot of Grizzlies games in Utah, I can promise you it's not very good. They do not win a lot of games there, especially these last couple of years. I know last year they went there and lost two early season games to them too in Utah. So it's just like that's not just a, that's just not a good matchup for them. So even going into that game after 0-4, I was like, yeah, that's going to be a tough game. They haven't had great history against the Trailblazers on the road either. So that's why even though the Trailblazers are not that same team that they have been in the past that, you know, was going to the playoffs and had Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, who was might be the greatest grizzly killer of all time. Right. They don't have that, but you're still going on the road where the Grizzlies have struggled and they're playing a team with some really good young players. So I, I get why. Like so, so, so it's not going to be an easy game. Like you said, there's no easy games in the Western Conference. The Western Conference keeps getting more difficult. The Clippers just added James Harden to just continue to add to how difficult the Western Conference is going to be. So it's it's just if they want to start like to to start turning the season around, it has to start now. Not to say that the season is already over and all that, because I know there's a lot of people that have been saying stuff like that. I'm not there yet, obviously. But you've got to start stringing some games together now. Like you've got you, – because if you don't start now, like you said, it's just going to be too much when Ja does get back. And it, even if Ja does get back, there's no telling. I mean, this is the NBA. There's probably going to be other injuries. Other guys are going to be out. And I think that's another thing that's – another issue that adds to my level of concern is that – and knew this coming into the season. They're not as equipped to handle injuries as they have been in the past. So the days of, you know, the Grizzlies are missing four and five starters and now they're just going to they're going to be fine. You know what I mean? Because that's how it was a couple of years ago. And I think coming into the season, even like from a coaching staff perspective, from a general manager's perspective and stuff like that, they probably thought, OK, 
the team and the coaching staff has dealt with injuries the entire time. They've done a really good job, but they just don't have they this is not the same team. Like this team is mostly completely different from that team that was two years ago that won all those games without Ja. You know, there's no Tyus Jones, no Dylan Brooks, no DeAnthony Melton, no Kyle Anderson. Those are really the guys that stepped up in that. I mean, you still have Jaron and Bain, but you don't have as much around them. And I'll I'll exclude Marcus Smart from that because I think Marcus Smart has played, especially on the offensive end, probably about as well as you could probably expect from him. For somebody who's played his first five games with a new team, I don't think he's been the reason they've been losing games. I still feel like that's more of the people that are coming off the bench not giving the starters enough help. Uh, another thing I will say, I think the rotations have been a little questionable, uh, not necessarily like the amount of minutes people are playing, but more the times when people are coming in and out of the game. I feel like Coach Jenkins has taken players out of the game at the wrong times. So, you know, right, like the Grizzlies are going on a run and it's like, okay, now this is when I want to get Bain some rest, where it's like, well, maybe you call a timeout here keep them in for a couple more minutes. Then you try to get the rest. See if you can keep, you know, try to get that, keep that run going a little bit with some bench guys in there with Dez or some bench guys in there with Jaron. There should never be a time where Bane, Jaron, and Smart, all three of them are on the floor. And I think that's the number one thing I've noticed. Like, you've got to have at least one of those guys on the floor at all times or it's going to get really nasty offensively. And I think that's been one of the issues as well. Uh, so, yeah, th- th- there's a lot of stuff to get into then. Uh, we'll continue to follow this the next couple weeks, but yeah, just a tough start overall, and that's that's all I can really say. Yeah, it's it's just tough. It's it's it's, it's very tough because, like like you said, it's just they gotta they gotta figure it out. And like with the to what you the last coaching point, that's why I was saying with the coaching, it can be better. I wasn't trying to say Jenkins was flawless and doesn't deserve any blame. Like I said, I, I'm blame pies. I, I think it's. You ask me, it's Ja climbing at like 40 a piece, and then 20% is the other, which is players and coaches. And Jenkins got to be better in that sense of because I think there was a game, I think it was the Washington game, where they, I think, started the fourth, and they had no, they had like an all bench lineup in there. When they were making a run, like I didn't see Ja, Jaron, or Bain out there, and that kind of cost you the game. And that's why I was talking about margin of errors. That little mistake probably cost you the game. Not saying that you would have for sure won the game, but you dang sure weren't going to win it if you just kept that line of did out there and they did. So like little stuff like that, I think, yeah, that's probably, I'd say like the, not really the rotations, but the timing of them, like the feel of them, like the game feel instead of going by like, Hey, this guy can only play a certain amount of minutes. Probably need to go like, Hey, we need to extend his minutes a little bit more. Um, and I will say they have because they haven't really used it. They used to play guys like low thirties guys kind of playing like mid thirties now. But again, that's because the roster, like I keep saying, like, again, obviously you, you, you shouldn't be and five, so that's why I say players and coaches got to be better. Like I always say, like, it's hard for me to be mad, too mad at certain things when I'm seeing G League two-way guys out there. Like, he doesn't got much to work with. But, again, those guys have to be better in those minutes. That's what, that's just the reality of the situation. Even though I think he should have more to work with, he's got to be better in getting those guys prepared, like like I said, with the rotations and overhelping and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, man, it's it's tough. It's tough. But, again, like I said, like, season's not over, like I said. It would. I said it's bleak, but that doesn't mean I mean like the season is done. I just gave the, the numbers. Hey, like listen, history, like they teams have started on five and been fine and still make the playoffs. You know, it's, it's early in the season. You got 82 games, like season's 
ebbs and flows. Like you'll have stretches like this where you go. We had stretches like that last year, but like it's just that stretch, that bad stretch we had last year is happening at the beginning of this year. So it's just different. So, but um, yeah, it's not like all doom and gloom. Like we could be here next week and they could be like I don't know four and five or whatever, and that'd be cool. And then you know it's different, but. Right now, they don't have no win, so just get one. That's my biggest thing. Get one first. Everybody keep talking about when Ja get back. I don't listen. That's like in December, but can we just get one win? I've been on Twitter talking about, hey, keep quoting the same video, waiting on a win. I'm gonna do it tomorrow too. Y'all probably gonna laugh at me. I'm gonna do it every time until they win the game, because everybody's doubting them. I need them to just win one game first. I feel like when they win one game, it's just everything's just gonna just start flowing a little bit better. I'm not saying they're gonna go on like a 20 game win streak, but they. But they'll start feeling better. Confidence will go up. You know, it feel like a like it's just a weight off their shoulders. So just win one first, and then everything else will we'll worry about everything else after that. Just win one game first. So that's really my biggest point. Just win one. For sure, for sure. Yeah, that's my biggest thing too. Just to get a get a win. Hopefully it'll be against the Trailblazers and everything like that. Uh, but last thing, did want to mention this. I know we've kind of talked about it a little bit. But the Grizzlies did officially side, uh, sign Bismack Biombo to a one-year deal. Uh, a million of that is guaranteed. And then it, it seems like there's going to be some kind of option for him if he plays the rest of the season. Uh, I think they did give him maybe a little bit more than people were expecting because that option would take him up to $5 million on the season. But I think one of the reasons they did that is it, it would make it so that at the trade deadline, if they did need money to work for a deal or something like that. They could use Biombo in a deal of some some kind of caliber, and they could add a little bit more money in the deal than they would have for some of these younger players that they have. If they wanted to use them in a deal, maybe if they even wanted to use them in a deal, they can't because they're on rookie contracts. So this might help them a little bit on that. They do also have a trade exception and everything. Uh, but that's really like looking far ahead. Uh, for the right now, I think Bismack Biombo can help the Grizzlies simply – as a rebounder and just as another big body out there on the court. Uh, Jaron is not a five. And I think that the Grizzlies defensive scheme is basically like it. If you don't have another guy out there with Jaron to really be the center and to focus on, you know, getting the rebounds and stuff like that, not to say that Jaron doesn't also need to get better at that. And I think he has been better as a rebounder so far this season. I think he can continue to get better at that. But when your scheme is so precedented on Jaron being the last line of defense and Jaron protecting the rim, it's hard for him to do that and also get the rebound. And that's what I always, you know, try to tell people. Not to say that he can't be better, but he, but you know, sometimes it's not realistic for him to do all of that. You can't ask him to switch and do all this and then also be the best rebounder on the team. It can be hard sometimes. But like I said, he's been better. I think he can continue to get better. But I think having Biombo out there just to have a body out there that'll box people out, uh, get some boards. He's a really good defender overall. Not going to help you on offense. Like, he's not going to help you on offense simply, right? Uh, that's And no offense to him, but we, we know that. Like, that's not what you sign him to be. Uh, he's not going to do the same level of, like, passing and stuff that Steven Adams will kind of like at the elbow but I think he will be good as a screener and everything I think he'll set good screens he'll set hard screens and I think he's the type of player that I think Grizzlies fans are gonna like they'll come around to love Bismack Biombo. I feel like just because he's he's a high motor guy he's gonna hustle he's gonna block shots he's gonna rebound and he's not gonna play 
outside of his role. So if you see a night where if Bismack Biombo ends up taking more than like five shots, that means he either made all the ones he took before that or he missed one. Like you're not going to have a night where Bismack Biombo goes two for seven. If he's attempting seven shots, he's going to have made six of them because he's gotten a rhythm and they're all going to be at the rim. So that that's the kind of guy that you're going to get in Bismack Biombo. And I think he can really help. Uh, I think he can really help the team, especially in this first little time, because they they have a, a size disadvantage and they need somebody else that can come and spell uh, Xavier Tillman for a little bit or maybe even start over Xavier Tillman at times just because I feel like he's a little bit bigger. Uh, he, he's not quite seven foot, but he has a really long wingspan. I think he has like a seven, seven wingspan. So that's going to help them a lot. Uh, in terms of just having a guy that can go up and get boards and contest shots at a little bit of a higher rate than what Tillman can do, just because he is undersized to really be the five. Uh, but I think I think Biombo can help them a lot. Now, like I said, he's not going to fix the offensive issues, and I'm not saying the Grizzlies are going to add Bismack Biombo and he's going to save the season, but I do think he will help them. And I think when you look at the guys that were available and like the prices you would have to do, whether it's like trading for somebody else or something like that, I think this was a good first step in terms of kind of trying to fix that issue. Uh, it's it's late. I feel like they should have been trying to fix this way earlier. They should have been trying to fix this in the offseason. But it is what it is. This is kind of where they're at. Uh, but I think as a like. They made a mistake by not adding somebody earlier on, but now that we're here, I think adding Bismack Biombo is a solid move for them, and I don't think there's anybody else out there that would have been better. Yeah. Um, first, I want to give a shout-out to Anthony Sane. Shout-out to Sane. That's my dog. Uh, because I, I, I can't remember what episode it was. I was watching his podcast. I think it was like a week or two. It was probably a couple weeks ago. And he says something about this feels like when Adams got hurt. He says something like this feels like a Bismack Biombo type situation. And when I heard that, I was like, Bismack Biombo. And then I thought I forgot that he was a free agent. And because I'm like, then I'm you know thinking to myself, I'm like, oh then yeah, that's sign somebody because I forgot that they could sign somebody after the five games. I'm like, and then once I thought about it, I'm like, I couldn't unthink about it. I just thought my like, well, yeah, Bismack is probably gonna be like I just felt like if that was like the name, but sure enough. At like was I think a couple of days ago or whenever they called it I can't remember what day exactly but it was like Bismarck Young beside the Grizzly so it's just funny because I couldn't get out of my head I'm like he's probably gonna be a Grizzly, uh but I mean I think he's gonna help like uh you know it's just the thing is like like you said he's not gonna provide an offensively like he's only average I got the stats up he's only averaging five points for a career like he's not going to that's not his game like his game is rim protection and rebounding like he's averaged a block everywhere he's been basically his rebounds have been pretty good for what his minutes are. Like the last couple of years, he's only played 14 minutes game. That's probably what he's gonna play here. Um, I think I think last year he started 14 games, so he had a couple of decent starts. Um, like again, he's not really he's undersized. Like he's I think he's the same actually same height as Tillman, or maybe like an inch tall, like six eight, six nine. But he has a long wingspan. He's probably a little bit more athletic, a little bit more built. So that'll help. Like again, like and I don't think necessarily they're gonna change any star lineups. I just don't think that's what I don't think they're gonna start beyond. But that's not they're not, not gonna do that. But I think he'll play like his 14 minutes will make a difference because that'll give Tillman a breather or Jaron a breather or when Santi gets back, Santi a breather. And I think that'll increase their margin of error because instead of giving those minutes to guys like 
Lofton, who, again, I don't, you know, who I think can be good for what the team needs at that position, it doesn't fit. Biombo can provide that and what they need. And so that maybe can increase your margin of error that I keep talking about that they don't have. Um, and, yeah, and I think, again, from what I've seen, like I think he's a good locker room guy. I mean, he's a vet. He's been in the league since 2011, 2012. Like he's a guy that, you know, un, you know, understands, like you said, he won't play without like outside of his role. Like maybe at, there was a couple times, I can't remember when, I think the Grizzlies played Charlotte a couple years ago and he took like a three. And I don't know if you know about the video, but like the Charlotte announcer like said something about him taking the three. Like that's maybe like the only time I've seen him play outside of his role was like a couple seasons ago. But for the most part, I, you'll never see him play outside of his role. Like you said, he shoots for the most part career percentage is 53% because, again, a lot of his stuff is at the rim. It's going to be a layup or a dunk. You know what I mean? Maybe a hook, maybe occasionally here and there. But, you know, he'll be in the dunker spot most of the time or pick and roll. So, um, yeah, I think he's going to help. Um, and I think the contract thing, like they said, uh, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Bobby Marks did talk about it. Like the, they made his contract like that because of the trade stuff, uh, that, that could happen. Cause I think he's trade eligible on February 2nd. So, you know, if they, you know, if they do keep him up when Jair gets back, they can use him as a trade asset. And then on top of that, I'm pretty sure the Grizzlies still have, um, if I'm not mistaken, like I think a trade exception and an injury exception. So they got some little stuff to work with wiggle room wise if they wanted to make some moves uh at the deadline but again that's that's further down the line just get a win first so uh, hopefully we i don't know when biombo's gonna play like that's a real big thing i mean he's already signed he's obviously signed officially but i'm i don't know when he's gonna play i would like to see him playing these next two maybe i don't know if he's gonna play tomorrow definitely i don't think he's playing no later than sunday like i think sunday he'll probably play but yeah i think he's gonna help um and um yeah i just hope that you know, again, he's not going to be the person that saves the season or anything, but he sure can help in turning things around, at least. You know, like they said, they, like you said, they should have got a big sooner. I, Y'all heard me just rant for 30 minutes saying they should have got a big sooner or just actual rotation players. But this is the reality situation. They Better late than never. So, you know what I mean? I'll take it. You know, for what the – considering the context of the situation, I'll take Biombo right now. So, yeah, I, I think he'll help. Um, a good addition. I think that's probably the only name I really wanted. Because, again, you weren't going to make a long-term move right away. You just needed something to be a gap filler. And this was, like, probably the best gap filler move you could make. So, yeah. For sure, for sure. And uh, like I always say every week, I just want to say thank you to everybody who listened to this episode of the Next Gen Podcast. Hopefully next week we will have some wins to talk about. Maybe we'll have Bismack Biombo's debut as Memphis Grizzly. We'll see if he does play this weekend playing against the Trailblazers. But if he doesn't, I would definitely expect him to be back for the next home game. I know the Grizzlies do like to do that, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, but as always, I'm your host, Bryson Wright, and I was joined by my co-host, Alex Winton. And we will see you all on the next episode, and hopefully we'll have some Grizzlies wins to discuss. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Next Gen Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a like and a comment wherever you download your podcasts. Head over to www.bluffcitymedia.co where you will find comprehensive coverage of all things Memphis sports and how you can become an insider. We'll see you back here next time.